Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, this is Justin, back with another Mysterious Circumstances podcast. This is going to be a short episode until I can get my full-length one out tomorrow. Um, I know it's been a while since I had an episode out, so I had to do something. While I was researching one uh, subject I've been looking into, I actually found another one. So there's a good chance I'll have two two episodes in a pretty... Uh, pretty short span of time which is a good thing for me and for people who like the podcast that's a good thing for them too uh before i get started tonight i would like to acknowledge a couple of uh, reviews i got on itunes uh these are my only two i've ever had but i greatly appreciate them you know obviously if you hate hate what i'm doing here either don't listen to it or send me an email and tell me what i can do to improve you know if you're going to instill some criticism at least to let it be constructive so the first one is from a sullivan says great new podcast interesting topics and in-depth explorations looking forward to more um thank you a sullivan that's extremely humbling i appreciate that rating uh this is the kind of stuff i get into for some odd reason so i'm glad that there are others out there that enjoy these subjects as much as me uh the next one is from miss ginger 58 and it says, uh, wish I could give more stars. And she gave me three stars. She said that, uh, you know, my delivery is good. Um, loves the theme and the in the outro music, which I'm going to go ahead and throw that out. It's Kevin McLeod. Got that off uh, royalty-free music at IncompTech.com. Um, said the podcast is a gem. She's happy to have found me. And uh, my delivery is, is uh, friendly and informative. And it makes uh, it's more of a comfortable uh, delivery, um, so I appreciate that. I put a lot of put a lot of work into the research, and that's kind of actually exactly what I was shooting for is more of a discussion type podcast, uh, not overly produced. Uh, her one problem though was the audio. Um, I'll be honest with you, there is absolutely no production value in what I do. I had an eight dollar microphone, and I have a computer with the internet. Um, I recently upgraded to a $25 microphone. Uh, I kind of adjusted the audio, or at least I tried to. I'm actually not too tech-savvy, and I'm actually speaking a little bit closer to the mic in this episode. So hopefully that helps, uh, you know, with if you decide to review again, or you can always, you know, if it if it's even worse, you could always email me at mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com, and, uh, you know, maybe... Help me improve on that or whatever. But thank you very much. I appreciate that. And like I said, if you're going to give me some criticism, at least make it constructive. Or you don't have to listen to this. So anyway, um, this is a short episode that I'm going to do tonight just to get some content on there. Uh, this is not mine. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know I do some little top ten lists. Um, shit that intrigues me. And this one is actually uh, a newer one. It was submitted yesterday by Deborah Kelly. 
And uh, if you'll excuse me here, I'm going to take a, I had a long day, so I'm going to take a drink of this beer real quick. All right. So this list is actually called 10 Spiritual or Scientific Attempts at Raising the Dead. Uh, this is a subject that has taunted scientists and, you know, in the physical and metaphysical world for for years, centuries, you know, whatever the case may be. So we'll go ahead and start, and uh, here we go. What comes after death is a question that has haunted mankind for generations. Everyone seems to have their own belief with answers that range from absolutely nothing to everything we could possibly dream of. And for for uh, just as long, we have tried to cheat death. And uh, listen to some tales of uh, some people, and you know you would you would think that they succeeded. And these are some pretty pretty awesome tales. <clears throat> now. The the number 10 on the list is there's some Russian going on in here, all right? And I can barely pronounce anything Spanish, let alone Russian, so I'm going to try my best here. Okay, and the first one is uh, Alexei Kuliabko. Uh, he was a Russian scientist working for the uh, Physiological Laboratory of the Imperial Academy of Sciences in St. Petersburg at the turn of the 20th century. Now, by 1902, he had already figured out how to restart the hearts of animals that had been removed up to five days. So in 1903, he had moved on to uh, restarting human hearts. Kuliabko's first subject was a three-month-old baby who had died of natural causes. Two days after the infant's death, he got the heart to beat again. It is a pretty big leap to resurrecting a complete human, but Kuliabko was nothing if not ambitious. So reports of the Russian success and their resurrection attempts made world news at the time. Editorials not only lauded their accomplishments to date, but also uh, reassured the public that it was only a matter of time before the trials were successful on a human head and finally on an entire human. The line between science fiction and science fact was becoming blurred. Kuliabko became the face of scientific advancement. He was often featured in staged promotional pictures uh, with some pretty horrible centerpieces. Now, according to the stories, Kuliabko actually did try to reanimate an entire human body using the corpse of a man who had been dead for uh, for only one day. The, the guy had actually died during surgery. And with help from a pharmacist and a chemist named uh, Fyodor Andreev, the uh, Russian scientist filled the dead man's veins and blood vessels with a mixture of calcium chloride, potassium chloride, sodium chloride, sodium bicarbonate, and dextrose, uh, which was the invention of a British, science, British scientist who used it to keep hearts pumping, and uh, he also threw some adrenaline in there. Now, the man's heart started beating again, and still lying on the table, he was reported to have wheezed out a breath a death rattle that sent assistants running from the room. After the after keeping the heart beating for 20 minutes, Kuliabko actually pulled the plug. Yeah, that that's pretty interesting. That might be actually something I'm probably going to end up looking into a little bit more, to be honest with you. All right, next on our list here is number nine. Number nine is a gentleman by the name of John Lacey. 
John Lacey was an English justice of the peace who got wrapped up in the 18th century French prophets movement. Uh, he was he was prophesied to be the vehicle for the resurrection of Thomas Eames. The French prophets de- derided the whole host of Anglican beliefs, such as taking uh, issue with the fact that black was the devil's color, yet all priests wore black themselves. Uh, Upper-crust citizens like Lacey helped give the prophets leverage as they moved into London, but they shocked more people uh, than they ever won. Uh, Lacey was only one of the movement's members that claimed he was occasionally possessed by the spirit of the divine. He claimed to perform automatic writings while under the control of Holy Spirit. Uh, It was a possession that he never remembered after it actually happened. Uh, And he also delivered his prophecies in Latin, Greek, and French. While he claimed he was essentially speaking in tongues, others pointed out that uh, not only was he a French translator, but that he had also had schooling in Greek and Latin, and he was horrible at speaking it. So from there, it was only a a short leap to performing miracles of healing, and in 1708, he was preparing to resurrect fellow believer Dr. Thomas Eames. Eames died on September 22nd, and on the next day, a 12-year-old prophetess predicted that he would rise again on May 25th. In the months following the doctor's burial in uh, Bunhill Fields, the faithful wore green ribbons to identify them as not being one of the wicked, should uh, by chance the divine forces decide to go on a cleansing spree. Uh, Lacey, Lacey continued, uh, continued to heal, and when, long awaited, when the long-awaited day arrived, somewhere around 20,000 people showed up to watch the miracle take place. Uh, needless to say, there was no miracle, and the good doctor did not rise from the dead. Lacey's failure turned uh, belief into ridicule. Even though he had written a letter expressing doubt over whether or not it was actually going to even happen. So that's pretty interesting. It's like a little, like a little sideshow ripoff right there. All right, number eight on the list is Lorenzo Snow. Uh, In 1889, Mormon leader and elder Lorenzo Snow was installed as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and it was a turbulent time in Mormon history. He had just been released from prison not long before and sentenced on a charge of breaking laws that made polygamy illegal. Uh, In his new role... Uh, Snow was at the head of the church, and in 1891, he performed what was likely one of his most incredible miracles. Ella Jensen, his niece, died at 10 a.m. on March 9th. Now, while Snow was in the middle of a speech, is actually when she died. The story goes that when he found out that his niece had died, he immediately went to her home and stood at her side. After requesting some uh, consecrated oil, he anointed her and was reported to have said, Dear Ella, I command you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come back and live. Your mission is not yet ended. You shall yet live to perform a great mission. Uh, Then Snow told her parents not to worry and left. An hour later, she sat up and asked for Snow, who she claimed had called her back. That's pretty damn interesting right there. To be honest with you, it kind of gave me chills a little bit. <clears throat> anyway, the next one is, uh, wow, these are two hell, hell crazy names here. Uh, number seven on our list is two gentlemen. 
uh, one by the name of uh, Lorazzo Spalanz- Spalanzani and uh, Anton von Leeuwenhoek. You wouldn't even believe how that shit's spelled, to be honest with you. Doesn't even look like that. But anyway, uh, an Italian scientist from the 18th century, uh, Lazzaro uh, Spallanzani, we'll just call him uh, Lazzaro, is perhaps best known for his work with the spontaneous generation theory. He was also fascinated by the idea that some animals, such as worms, frogs, and salamanders, could regenerate body parts. He also successfully raised tiny creatures from the dead. Uh, from sediment in a rain gutter to uh, to under his microscope, uh, Spallanzani uh, named his tiny creatures Il Tardigrado, meaning slow stepper. And he found uh, that adding water back into their environment brought them back to life. So years later in 1702, Dutch scientist uh, Anton, the other gentleman, uh, discovered the same thing with other tiny creatures. Uh, what we now know as rotifers, uh, Anton found that although they were completely lifeless when they were dry, adding water to them brought them back to life. That might be impressive, but uh, rotifers can only be dry for a relatively short amount of time. Now, re- research on uh, tardigards. Uh, in the 1940s, claimed that dried specimens could be brought back to life after as long as 120 years. Uh, now, while that has yet to be successful, successfully proven, uh, we do know that we can reanimate ones that have been dried out for as long as eight years. Scientists are not entirely sure how they managed to do it, but they have found that the creatures are only mostly dead. Uh, Deprived of water, they uh, retract their heads and legs, slowing their life process to around 0.01% of the normal function. It is also thought that they produce some sort of protective chemical when they begin uh, to enter a dried state, but just how they cheat death is still unknown. All right, next on the list, uh, number six, is Elijah Pearson. Uh, During the first decades of the 19th century, religious movements were popping up everywhere in the United States. Now, like others, Elijah Pearson and his wife Sarah were followers of a group that believed in some extreme things. Their beliefs led to uh, fasting, to uh, emaciation and visions, uh, constant prayer, a plain lifestyle, and a dislike of the poor. Shortly after they established a home to help women of ill repute find their faith, Sarah Pearson contracted tuberculosis. Elijah was convinced it was all a test of his faith, and in his journals wrote about a vision in which God said she would recover. Now, God also instructed him to begin using the name Elijah the Tishbite. Uh, Yeah, that's what it says, Elijah the Tishbite. Anyway, uh, as he was to be God's next prophet. So he got himself a nickname. Now, soon after, Elijah gathered his followers around Sarah's uh, sickbed to anoint her and pray. After her death, he took it as a sign that she was he was supposed to resurrect her. Now, once again, Elijah gathered his followers and believers and before, performed a series of prayers and rituals over her coffin at the funeral. 
among the witnesses was her father, John Stanford, a minister who uh, wrote that the entire thing made him ill and depressed in his mind. Uh, needless to say, Sarah did not return from the dead. However, the story did not end there as one of Pearson's followers uh, convinced him that she would return in the spirit of another. The follower even knew who the vessel for Sarah's spirit would be, Mr. F- er, uh, Miss Frances Folger, a woman she predicted would ultimately have his child. Now, after Sarah's death, Pearson sank deep into despair, no, no doubt made worse by the bizarre developments that swirled around him. Uh, after being poisoned under mysterious circumstances, Pearson followed Sarah to the grave on July 28, 1834. Uh, former housekeeper of the Pearson family, Isabella von Wagenen, uh, was the only suspect, and uh, von Wagenen, better known today as uh, Sojourner Truth, filed a libel suit against Folger because of the claims and uh, she actually won actually won that suit in a court of law that's pretty damn amazing alright number five is the society for the recovery of persons apparently drowned Um, founded in 1774 by William Hawes and Thomas Cogan the Society for the Recovery of Persons Apparently Drowned is still around today as the Royal Humane Society. Uh, Kogan was the first to translate a Dutch paper written on the effectiveness of resuscitating drowning victims by forcing air into their lungs. Now, with dozens of people dying every year from falling in the uh, Thames, Kogan approached Hawes with an idea. They were going to create a society to promote this new information on how to bring dead drowning victims back to life. But they were totally ridiculed for it. All right, The ridicule was short-lived, and uh, King George III put his support behind the Young Society in 1783. Now, in addition to information, they also established a network of doctors and surgeons who worked out of homes and pubs along the Thames. Uh, They provided resuscitation equipment and uh, even offered a reward to both people performing the life-restoring maneuvers and to pub owners for the use of their building. Now, the reward system was encouraging people to save lives soon backfired. Teams would work the system with one person pretending to be a drowning victim and the other one pretending to miraculously resurrect him. The scam was so widespread that it uh it was not only long it was not long before they started handing out certificates instead of cash all right number 4 is uh pretty damn sure a uh, uh another russian yeah it is another russian um i can't even i'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name we'll just say his first name is sergey uh so in 1925 uh sergey um first demonstrated his autojector to the second congress of russian pathologists the machine circulated blood through a body and into a glass container where it would be artificially reoxygenated and pumped back into whatever creature the russian scientist was experimenting on now in front of the congress he kept a dog's head alive for a hundred minutes but no one was really actually impressed about this uh, it was not until a year and a half later that the media got wind of the story and propelled Sergei to fame. 
the public was actually outraged, but not because of the horrible experiments he was performing. Um, they were mad because of the complete lack of governmental funding and support he was receiving. The outrage led to a major grant from the people's, uh, uh, looks like, commissariat uh, for the protection of health, and word uh, continued to spread about what the Russians were up to. Even George Burden and Shaw went on record with a joke saying if it was all true, then he would consider having his own head removed and kept alive so he could concentrate on dictating his next work without all the hassle of everyday life. So, stories claim that Sergei moved on with attempts to get the autojector to work on a human. Now, he got his body after... Uh, after a man had committed suicide, the man was dead for three hours before his body was hooked up to the autojector. Uh, it supposedly took another few hours for the new machine to work, and dark magic uh, for the machine to work and the dark magic they were waiting for. His heart started uh, actually beating, and noises came from his throat. And he even opened his eyes to stare at the doctors. Um, just like uh, Kuliabko's team, the scientists were so horrified by their success that they turned the machine off only after two minutes of it. That is actually extremely intriguing as well. Um, <clears throat> number three on our list here is... <laughs> I wish you could see the guy in this YouTube video, man. This hair is fucking epic flock of seagulls, like half goth type thing going on. But anyway, number three is uh, uh, the Dead Rising team. Uh, led by Tyler Johnson, the Dead Rising team is a group of Christian healers who base their work on Matthew 10.8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Uh, Jesus was talking to the apostles, but the group claims that he was really talking to everyone. As of 2014, the team claimed to have helped 11 people come back to life with the power of faith and prayer. Johnson claimed he is so well known that he is often allowed through police barricades in order to pray for accident victims. He also refuses to give out the names and stories of those people that he has brought back. He will, however, teach anyone who is interested in the gift at their school of resurrection. However, the Dead Rising team isn't the only modern group that claims to be able to bring, uh, bring back the dead with prayer. Another group called uh, Global Awakening is looking for more bodies to practice their art of resurrection on. One off-sided case is uh, that of an American heart surgeon who claimed to bring a patient back from the dead by praying over him with the help of a defibrillator at the same time. Imagine that. Oh, this guy's got the greatest last name ever. Um, number two on our list is Smith Wigglesworth. I love that shit. Um, all right. In 1907, Smith Wigglesworth was transformed from a shy speaker to a powerful Pentecostal force. At the same time, I was or he was studying to be a plumber until he felt himself being swept away on a tide of belief and faith. Now, gradually, he began to focus on the idea that illness was a physical battle between God and the devil that raged within a person. He believed that faith was the only thing that was truly needed for a person to overcome anything that ailed them. 
So Wigglesworth would go on to, uh, on to tour Europe and the United States, drawing crowds around tens of thousands, even as the Swedish government forbid him to practice uh, his laying uh, his laying on hands. Um, in spite of his popularity and professed success, both his wife and daughter died young. He believed that uh, his failure to heal them was because he was not yet strong enough. Now, according to the stories about Wigglesworth, he didn't just heal people, he raised them from the dead. Believers claimed that there were at least 14 people brought back to life by the preacher, including one man who was laying in his coffin in a funeral home. Wigglesworth picked the man up, propped him against the wall, and told him to live again. Although the first time failed, it was the third attempt when the man supposedly coughed, stood up, and left the funeral home under his own living, breathing power. Another story actually claimed that he brought his own good friend back uh, from the dead. When he heard his life or his uh, lifetime friend was sick, he went to visit the man only to find his friend's wife already grieving. He went upstairs and appealed to God, and uh, it was reported that the man not only rose from the dead, but also lived a very long life afterward. Uh, Wigglesworth uh, eventually embarked on his first ministry to the uh, United States in 1914. All right, here we go. Uh, the grand finale, John D. and Edward Kelly. The stories about John D., uh, astronomer and advisor to Queen Elizabeth I, and Edward Kelly exist in that strange realm somewhere between history and legend. Now, according to the Lancashire legend, D. and Kelly were summoned to St. Leonard's Churchyard one night towards the end of the 16th century. One of the uh, community's richest men had recently died, and he took the location of his wealth to the grave with him. D. and Kelly dug up the grave, and according to the story, it was Kelly who performed the ritual over the body. Even though the corpse had already begun to decay, it was said that the dead man's eyes opened up and he revealed the secret of his fortune's whereabouts. He also imparted some otherworldly knowledge, supposedly telling the two men what was going to happen to some of the local people. The dead man was actually right. Oddly enough, a few hundred years later, archaeologists found an actual buried treasure. The church where Dee and Kelly were said to have held their nightmare resurrection is not far from Preston, where a massive treasure was uncovered in 1840. Uh, what would become known as the Curedale Hoard was made of around 8,600 silver coins and other various items, uh, making it the largest Viking-era silver cachet ever uncovered. The coins were turned over to the British Museum, uh, with, with, of course, each member of the excavation team allowed to keep one coin each. Uh, and it was later estimated that the hoard was buried between 905 and 910, um, likely by Vikings that had only a short time before being driven out of Ireland. So with that being said, that is another short, uh, short episode, a top ten list. Um, I will be actually recording my full-length episode here in the next 24 hours, so uh, I'll be looking forward to that. So I hope everyone else is too. 
Yeah, and like I said, if you are uh, earlier, if you are going to use uh, submit some reviews, you know, if you're going to give me some criticism, at least make it constructive. If you're going to tell me how much you hate me, you can either email me or uh, just stop listening to the podcast. Um, as for everything else, thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you have any suggestions on an episode, a mystery, some kind of disappearance, unsolved murder, um, you can always uh, give me suggestions at mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com. Um, and just so everybody knows, I am on every podcast app there is, uh, along with iTunes, uh, Patreon. I'm trying to figure out how to do a subreddit so I can actually have some conversations with people. Um, but uh, until next time, uh, thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed the show. See you on the flip side.